Well, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we'll go down to verse 17 there. Chapter, seven, chapter 5, verse 17, Ephesians. In verse 17, Paul says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for the things unto God and unto the Father uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourself to one another in the fear of God. And uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our text and the things we'll have to look into tonight. Pray for your leadership. Pray for you to speak through this and use this for your own glory. Help us to grow with one another and, uh, and help us to continue building up one another. We pray that you would just continue to work as you have in our church. But be with our wills and, and our desires and help us, Lord, to be uh, constantly turning towards you. Draw us closer to you. And, Lord, to help us to be a church that you're pleased with, a church that you can use. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, we've been in Ephesians for uh, the better part of this year. We, uh, the first three chapters, of course, as I mentioned several times, are uh, talking about what we believe, um, you know, what, where our faith is, who we are in Christ. It's, uh, the first three chapters are really doctrinal and telling us what to believe. The last three chapters are all practical, and they're telling us what to do with what we believe. So, you believe that you are in Christ, you believe that you're a child of God, you believe that you are an heir to the promises of God, and an heir, you know, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, so then if you believe these things about Christ and about yourself, then this is how you ought to act or how you ought to live based upon those truths. And that's really what uh, the last three chapters are all about. Well, another thing that we've been seeing, a theme that's been coming up in chapters 4 and 5 so far, is that we are not to, uh, to be living this life or functioning in life apart from the New Testament church, apart from this, this local body. We are, uh, we are one body. We are, uh, you know, we are one in Christ. We are to be unified in love and be praying for one another. And we've got to put aside this individualistic mindset where it's all about me and it's about what I can do and about what I can get. It's about what's best for me and what I want and all these things. And we've got to take on a mindset that considers Christ and considers what's best for the church and best for the kingdom of God. And so we begin viewing ourselves then not as individuals who are part of a church, but we begin to view ourselves as part of this body of Christ. And so every decision that I make, everything that I do, I need to consider how, number one, how it affects my relationship with God, but number two, how it affects the church that I'm a part of as well. Anything that we do out in community, anything that we do at work or at the store or while we're driving, we need to consider how does this reflect upon God, number one, Number two, how does this reflect upon my church? 
And so we find that we are now in this community, we're in this family, and uh, we're working together as one. And so it's very important for that unity to be there. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to move forward uh, in the commission that God has given us. Well, what we're talking about here in chapter 5, we're more talking about conduct. And he's speaking to the whole church. He's talking about how that they, uh, and of course we can't separate the fact that the church is made up of individual believers, but how that the people in that church need to be behaving like Christ, need to be following God and following Jesus and patterning, patterning their life after them. He talks about the fact that we were once in darkness, we were once in the world, we were once lost, but now we're saved and we're in the light. And so we need to walk and act as children of light. And these last couple of verses that we're going to look at here in, uh, in verses 17 through 21, we'll be kind of going to a different subject here in just a few moments or in, in the next uh, message or so. But in verses 17 through 21, we have kind of a series of uh, what might seem like isolated commandments to the church. But really what I want us to look at is how these things are commanded to us for us to be growing together as a church. And that's really the title of my message tonight is Growing Together. And so we've, we've already seen in, uh, in the book of Ephesians where we're supposed to be edifying one another, that everything that we say and do needs to be building each other up, not tearing each other down. That's why we need to put a censor on our mouths, you know, and uh, in our hearts before we say things to one another here in church. We need to ask, is this going to tear somebody down or is this going to build somebody up? Whether we're saying it to a person or about a person, those are things we need to be thinking about before they ever come out of our mouth because we're supposed to be edifying here. We are, uh, as a church, if we see, you know, something's not, someone's, uh, you know, maybe walking in sin, because we love them, we give constructive, loving correction to that person, but never in a way that tears them down, only in a way that's going to build them up and, and better them. And so as a church, we see ourselves uh, growing, not necessarily numerically in, in that sense, but growing spiritually. But the only way we're ever really going to grow to our full potential spiritually is when we're doing it together as a church. Amen. And that's something, you know, I've been, a, I've been a member of church for a long time, as you well know, uh, since I was born, uh, the day after I got, the Sunday after we got out of the hospital, I've been in church. I can count on my hands the times so I've missed church since then. I'm not saying that to impress anybody, just I've just been in church for a long time. And I've been around church people. I've been, a, I've been a church people for a long time. And I can tell you that there are many years of, you know, my, my years of being a church and being a church member where I might have been growing individually, studying personally. And God might have been growing me to a degree, but I was never able to get to the full potential of where I should be until the church around me was growing in the same direction as well. Until, until the church was praying for me, until the church was growing with me, I was never able to really excel the way that I should because we are made for church community as, as saved people. We're not lone ranger Christians. We can't do it on our own. Um, we're not an island. You know, y'all, y'all heard all these expressions, but we are made for that community and that community is here to help build up and encourage and strengthen one another uh, in their walk with Christ. And so understand this, while you can worship God outside of church, it's very true. While you can worship God from a boat or you can worship God from a deer stand, and all those things are very true, 
And you should be worshiping God if you're in a deer stand. You should be worshiping God if you're in a boat. But understand, those are things you do personally while you're there. But you also need a church body to be worshiping with. And yes, there are things that you can grow in and grow in knowledge. But until you're part of a church and not only a member of one, but actively participating and working and, and growing in that church, you're never going to reach the full potential for Christ that you can. Because it's never, it's never about you being all you can be. It's about us as a church being all that we can be for Christ. Or God working through us uh, and doing all that he can do through us. Now, how should we be growing together? Well, I think we find that in these verses. And the first thing I want to show you is that we're to be growing together in understanding. And verse 17 is where we find this. Now, let's go ahead and read that again. It says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And interestingly enough, in verse 17 where it says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, that word ye is not talking about you. It's talking about plural Y'all, the church, you, plural, be not unwise, verse 17, but you need to be understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, how will we ever know what the will of the Lord is unless we are wisely and prayerfully seeking the will of the Lord together? It's never going to happen. You can try to find the will of God for your life, but until you start viewing God's will for your life in light of God's will for this church, you're not going to find it as smoothly as you should. It's never going to make sense. It's never going to fit together because you've been placed in this body not to be acting out here for God, but to be acting through this church and in Christ. And, uh, and so it, that's what I'm saying. It's so important for us to view all that we do uh, through that, that lens of the church and of the kingdom of God. Now, we, we look at here in verse 17, it talks about an understanding. As we conduct ourselves before one another and before the world, we need to do so wisely. And so in verses 15 and 16, as we read last week, uh, he actually says there, uh, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And remember that we made the distinction, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, a wise person, according to this verse, is one who is seeking the wisdom of God. And so we don't need to be behaving ourselves out there as if we don't have a God reigning over us, but we need to act wisely and, and live wisely, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so he says in verse 17, in addition to this, he says, Wherefore, based on that information, do not be unwise, but understand. Have understanding of what the will of the Lord is. So on the basis of that truth, we need to purposefully be seeking wisdom ourselves and as a church. Uh, you know, there's quite a bit in Proverbs that talks about how important wisdom, how important knowledge, how important understanding are. And Solomon says that those things are more important than gold, the more important than silver, precious stones, that we need to cherish those things more. And he says, with all you're getting, if you're going to be greedy for something, if you're going to chase after something, then chase after wisdom. Pursue understanding. They're that important. I love what James says. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Let me tell you, you personally need to be praying for wisdom 
But you also need to be praying for God to help our church to grow in wisdom and for our church to grow in understanding of God and of the, uh, and of the will of God. And this is accomplished by understanding, of course, God's will. And that's what he says there towards the end of the verse, in verse 17, uh, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, here's a question. What is the will of God? That's a great question, isn't it? That's a question we ought to be asking before we do anything. What is the will of God about this? Well, how will we ever know what the will of God is? I want to tell you. It's not easy, but it's simple. He's already written it down. Amen. You want to know what the will of God is, you've got to get into His revealed will. It's called His Word. Right. Amen. You're never going to find the will of God apart from the Word of God. And so if we want as a church to seek and to know and to grow in wisdom then we're going to have to seek His book on wisdom, His book on what His will is. We have to search the Scriptures together. All of these answers are found in God's Word. And so as we pray as a church, as we read God's Word, He will reveal His will to us. Now, I know several of you are saying, man, I could have stayed home and, I don't know, watch TV or something. I already know this stuff. I know we ought to be praying together. I know we ought to be reading God's Word together. I know all these things. But here's, here's the deal. It's one thing to know that we should do those things. It's another thing to put those things into practice. I know I should be drinking water and not eating chocolate cake. But knowing that and doing that, I could tell you, are two totally different things. And knowing that we should do something as a church and putting that, that's what I'm talking, I'm not saying this so you can have a pretty message and go home and say, you know, that was a, a mediocre or above message that the pastor preached tonight. I want you to go home and say, Lord, teach me and teach us how we can know your will, how we can pray as a church together better, how we can uh, be seeking and doing your will as a church and, uh, you know, it's one thing, you know, we can fluff ourselves with knowledge and, and find out all these interesting things about God's Word. But I want to see us growing together in an understanding of God and an understanding of His will and how to seek His will. We need to grow in this understanding together then. Number two, not only do we grow together in understanding, but we also are to be growing together in the Spirit. Look at verse 18. He says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit, I want you to understand something. We've, we've made this into something um, that it's not. And sometimes I think that, you know, your more conservative churches shy away from talking about being filled with the Spirit because we know where, where some take it. But I want you to understand that being filled with the Spirit meant something different to Paul than it does to many churches and Christians today. Let me say this. I actually saw this the other day. I don't know what you call those things, but it was like a little picture with some words on it. But I don't know if this is a direct quote. But if being filled with the Spirit leads you to jump over pews on Sunday, but doesn't lead you to live holy on Monday through Saturday, then you got filled with the wrong thing. There you go. Call it emotion. Call it getting caught in the moment. I don't know. But if, uh, if you're dancing on Sunday one way and dance another way on Monday through Saturday, you didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit. That was something else you got filled with. All right. 
And so I want us to understand that God is not the author of confusion. And if he fills someone with his spirit, they're not going to act like a fool. But they're going to act wisely. And it's going to carry on past the hour or so that they're with other people in front of other people. And it's going to move on into their lives. It's going to move on into their actions and their decisions. And they're ministering to other people. When people are filled with the spirit of God, God is working. And God is going to use them to do incredible things. Number one, he's going to pull them away from sin closer to himself. Number two, he's going to push them out into community, out to to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And and God's going to be using them to minister to one another. Let me say this. You know, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, and there have been times, many, 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 many times in my life when I was filled with the Spirit of God, many, many, many times when I wasn't filled with the Spirit of God. And let me tell you, you really only have two choices. You're not like an in-between there. You're either full of the Spirit or you're full of yourself. When I'm full of myself, I'm no good to God. I say the wrong things. I think the wrong things. Even when I'm trying to minister to other people, it just doesn't seem to work. The advice that I, that I might try to give isn't good. Uh, the direction or comfort just stirs stuff up even worse. But when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, then it's like God's the one speaking to them. And God's the one ministering to them. The right words come out not because... I have the right words, but because God gives me the right words, Amen. you know, the uh, all those the, the ability to help and to know who to pray for and all that kind of stuff. It's all being generated by the spirit of God. Now, I want you to think about this again. He's not talking to an individual, but he's saying to the church and the individual members of that church. You all need to be filled with the spirit of God, because I want you to think about this. Even if 90% of our church, let's say 10% of y'all just can't get right, you know, and you just are rebellious and you're just not going to get your, but let's say that 90% of our church gets their heart right with God and we're filled with the spirit of God and God is moving in us. He's drawing us closer to himself. He begins using us. He's laying people on our hearts to be talking to and ministering to. And, and uh, he's, he's giving the words that need to be said. He's providing the things that need to be provided. Can you imagine what kind of church atmosphere will be going on when that's happening? And I tell you what, even that 10% eventually, if they stay around that long enough, are going to catch on or move on. Can you imagine what a church where the members of that church are all filled with the Spirit of God, what that means? I want us to talk about, we said what it doesn't mean to be filled with the Spirit of God, but what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? Well, I think Paul actually gives the best description of being spirit-filled in verse 18. First of all, he says, don't be drunk with wine. Now, what does drunk mean? Drunk means, of course, you've drunk, it, you've drunk wine in excess, and now you've come under the influence of that wine. By the way, I was thinking about this earlier. I never remember anyone saying anything that they were proud of doing while they were under the influence of wine or alcohol. Those are usually things we don't want people to know about, right? So nobody is proud of the things that they do. You know, my greatest work is... But he says, don't be filled with wine. Don't be drunk with wine. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. And what I want you to see is actually making, I believe, a comparison here. It wasn't just a random thing about wine, but he's talking about a comparison between either being filled or coming under the influence of wine... 
and coming under the influence of the Spirit. Because that's what the word fill means. Uh, when, we, when we say fill with the Spirit, we're not talking about just being filled up. We're, we're talking about like a cup of water, although that, I guess, is, is true as well. We have the Spirit indwelling in us. We should be filled in that sense. But it means to be filled or come under the influence of the Spirit of God. And so being filled with the Spirit means that we allow our actions, our words, and our thoughts to be governed or influenced by the Spirit. Let me tell you something about being a saved person and having the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And also, of course, your old nature dwelling in you. Because this is what will happen. Either way you're going, whether you're living in the flesh... Somewhere in there, the Spirit's going to be trying to act up a little bit. You need to, you need to stop that. Don't do that. You know, and you just say, you, 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 you just hush. I do what I want to do. I'm my own person. I make my own choices and stuff like that. But if you're a saved person, the Spirit of God is going to be in there moving. He's going to be in there talking. He's going to be in there trying to at least guide you in the right way. Now, eventually, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't quench the Holy Spirit. And you can... You can reject and ignore Him so long that you stop hearing the Holy Spirit moving in your heart. Let me tell you, I also believe if you're a child of God, one day He'll scream again. And when when He talks that time, you're going to listen. But you can stamp Him down for a little while. Well, let me say this, even when you are a person who is filled and, and you are... And this is done by submitting yourself to the leadership of the Spirit. It's not, some, it's not some experience that you just get filled with the Spirit. And I'm saying the more that you obey Him, the more you submit your life to Him, give over to Him, and yield to His leadings, the more filled with the Spirit you're going to become. It's a growing thing that happens. But when you become, you're, you finally reach that point where you could say, I believe I'm filled with the Spirit, and I'm, li- I'm, leaving, I'm living and, and being led by the Spirit of God. Remember that the old nature is still going to be back there somewhere Amen. acting up. And he's going to be saying, hey, you need to go do this. Hey, you need to go do that. Wouldn't it be fun to do this? You deserve it. You've been really good for all, you know, now go, go have you some fun and things like that. He's going to be back there in the background. And, uh, and the good thing about being filled with the Spirit is, is the Spirit begins to identify when those things are coming around, when those temptations are coming in. He's able to identify it and lead you to repentance and things like that. So it keeps you away from sin. But I believe the Spirit of God, if I have the Spirit of God in me, and Miss Ann, I hope you don't mind me using you as an example. If Miss Ann has the Holy Spirit of God in her, you know that the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in her life. Knows what she needs. And so then if I'm filled with the Spirit and I'm listening to how the Spirit is directing, He may one day let me know she needs a word of encouragement. Or she needs you to pray with her. Or she, she needs this or that. Because the same Spirit is working in both of us. He knows you. He knows me. He knows what's needed. And listen, He knows lost people as well. There's lost people around you that God probably has been leading you and wanting you to witness to. And when you listen to Him and fill with the Spirit, you'll be able to go and talk to them about the Lord and find at least success in planting a seed or in watering that seed or maybe, maybe even reaping a harvest there. You see, that all happens. It doesn't happen apart from the filling of the Spirit But when that is there, when the Spirit is leading and the Spirit is in control and the Spirit is influencing us, God accomplishes what He wants to do. God accomplishes His work around us. But it doesn't happen, again, apart from the Spirit, the the filling of the Spirit of God. And so we must learn how to grow in this filling of the Spirit. We need to be teaching people what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. and, And that's where all these things come in. We can grow in this together. 
And uh, I'd love to see our church be a church that is filled and praying in the Spirit of God. The third thing is uh, we need to be growing in encouragement as well, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Now, if you look at verse 19, it says, Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for the things of the God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just in case you think it's strange to speak to yourself, you have full license to do so here from Paul. He says, when you need encouragement, then you speak to yourselves. But I want you to notice this. I think when he says speak to yourself, it's not like, I do speak to myself sometimes. You can judge if you want. I speak to my, but I think what he's saying is be speaking to one another. I know, we'll go back to Miss Ann. God says something to my heart, and maybe he puts a verse on my heart to share with her. Maybe a psalm that, um, that touched me, or, and, and he, he wants to share that with her. And so I share that psalm with her, and it's exactly what she needed to hear that day. And what have I done? I've just encouraged her. I've just spoken to her. And, and hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. And so we're to be comforting one another uh, and encouraging one another. Now, all of us go through difficulties. We all go through tragedies. We all have personal struggles. And that's why it's so important to be a part of the church and be in the church is because you're able to get that kind of encouragement. Now, I know many of you are, are not on Facebook, but, uh, but several of you are. And I actually posted to our Facebook, uh, our Calvary Baptist Church Facebook group. Did y'all see the picture of the elephant? How many of you, or the video? Y'all saw the, the video of the elephant? Did you watch all the way through? Now, for those that, that weren't able to watch that, um, by the way, if you're not on our, we have some new ones. So if you're not on our group, let me know and I'll try to go ahead and add to that group so you can see all those things. But there was a video of an elephant, and uh, it's a baby elephant. And they were, there was, it was real muddy and stuff like that, and all the other elephants had kind of stepped on up. But this baby, it's a real young one too, and uh, it's trying to crawl up and uh, trying to get over that mud and get back up where everybody else is. And you see the, probably the mom is coming over, and she's trying to grab the baby and pull it on up or help it and, and everything. So you see her trunk go down, and she's trying to help it along. But this elephant cannot, this baby elephant cannot get up and keeps slipping and just sliding around and everything. And uh, you see the mom try to help here and there. But eventually, two or three other elephants come over, and they reach down, and they pick this baby elephant up, and they, they bring it up on the solid ground where they are. And, of course, it just goes on. But there's a little heading there. It just talks about that we all go through those same types of struggles. And maybe you've been there before. You're digging and you're clawing. And you're trying to climb up as hard as you can, but you just can't do it on your own. Maybe one comes by to help you, but it's just not enough. But let me tell you, when you have a church around you that loves you and that cares for you, and we all step in and we all begin praying and we all begin encouraging then we're able to lift one another up. We're able to encourage one another and help one another to grow in our faith. And uh, that was just a very inspiring video to me. I'm not usually a cute elephant video guy, but uh, that one, uh, that was pretty cool. And so the church is here to reach down and pull up those who have fallen and to encourage another, uh, one another in the faith. Now, how are we to encourage one another in verse 19? First of all, we do so by speaking to one another in psalms and uplifting songs. Uh, psalms and uplifting psalms, excuse me. Singing and making melody in our hearts. We do it by giving thanksgiving. And, you know, one of the things that I want to see us growing more and more in, in our prayer time, we usually, you know, we need to be praying about the sorrowful things and the bad things, but I also want us to 
Give more time to thanking God for what He is doing and the good things that are going on. We need more of those praise reports. We need to be giving thanks to God to one another because when all you hear, and please don't misunderstand me, we need, there are burdens on our hearts. We need to bring those out. We need to be praying for them. And, uh, and we need to be encouraging one another. But it's very uplifting to me when you hear so much, so many sorrowful things and grieving things that are going on. But then somebody says, you know what? God just did something awesome in my life. And we see the way that God is working. We're able to thank God for what he's doing. It's an encouragement. It lifts us up. And, uh, and so we need to be publicly with one another thanking God for what he's doing and giving thanks to God as a church. And then, of course, I want you to notice uh, that all this is to be done in the Spirit. Now, if you look with me in verse 18, the last phrase in verse 18 says, but be filled with the Spirit. And then we break there and go to the next verse. But I want you to see that all this runs together. He says, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All those things are to be done while we're living under the influence of the Spirit. And so as we are filled with the Spirit, guess what? We're going to see more happen, more of these things happening. We're going to see more encouragement being given. We're going to see more thanks being given. And uh, we're going to see more, uh, of course, more of God's work being done. And so um, uh, we need to be growing in encouragement. And the last thing that I want to share with you tonight is in verse 21, that we need to be growing in humility as well. If you look at verse 21, uh, he says there, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, let me say that this is a hard one. There's no getting around it. Uh, there's no explaining it away. We can't say, well, it, it says this, but it, you know, it really says this other thing. No, it, it says what it means. It means what it says. It says that we are to submit to one another. Now, submit... I looked it up in the dictionary. Means to yield to the power or authority of another person. So what does that mean? That means that I am to be submitting to you. You are to be submitting to me. We are to be submitting to one another. Paul says it in another place. That none of us are to think higher of ourselves than we ought, but in all things we ought to put the needs of others before ourselves. Amen. He says over Philippians, we have to take on the mind of Christ, who was above all, who had the right to all. And yet he humbled himself and became obedient as a servant, died on the cross for our sakes. You see, he who is the Lord of all became the servant of all. What it's saying here is we have to take on that same attitude. And we need to be submitting to one another. I want you to understand that I think the, uh, the action here on submitting to one another is not necessarily lifting other people above you, but it's a, it's a humbleness of the heart in your, own, in your own place. That you're humbling your heart. You're becoming a servant to other people. Now, what does it mean to submit to one another? Well, submit means that I put, number one, I put your needs before my needs. 
If I see that there's something going on in your life and you need something, maybe something's going on, I just speak, I'm the pastor and, you know, and y'all are the church members and it happens that there are times when uh, y'all need to call on me or there's something that's going on and uh, you need me for something. If I'm to submit to you, then that means that I lay aside my immediate needs so that I can make sure that your needs are being ministered to. But I want you to understand that that is not the role of a pastor. That's the role of a Christian. We all ought to be doing that for one another. If we see another Christian who is in need, if we see another Christian who has something going on and they just need somebody to talk to or they need help with something, then we set aside. You can't say, well, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of uh, eating, you know, and, and here they are, they're sick or they're, uh, who knows, on the side of the road somewhere. No, you put your fork down and you go help them. You go lift them up. You go encourage them, do whatever's needed. We put their needs before our needs. Now, I understand there's a limit to everything. Please, but what I'm saying is we have to submit. We need to be submitting and humbling ourselves before one another. Submit means that even when we don't get along, that I can yield my frustrations to God and love you anyway. Amen. That's what it means to submit to one another. And submit means that I willingly become a servant to you. One of the most beautiful things that Jesus did I believe, was uh, right before he died. Matter of fact, it was right before they had the Passover and the Lord's Supper. So right before, right after, I can't remember, but it's right there around that same area. He had everybody kind of gather around. He said, take your shoes off. And the Lord, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, God in flesh, got down on his knees like a servant, like a slave, and he washed their feet. And he says, the Gentiles lord over one another. They all struggle to see who can get ahead or who can get on top. He says, but you don't do that. But the greatest among you is to become your servant. He says, if I, who am Lord of all, if I have done this to you, then you need to do so to one another. Now, that's not to say that we've got to come in here and wash everybody's feet. But what it is to say is that that spirit of humility needs to be upon us. Amen. That if it's washing your feet or washing your car or whatever it is that, that we can do to help you, that we submit to one another and we humble ourselves to one another. Now, there's another part of this I think it's very important for us to, uh, to catch in case you're struggling with this notion of submitting and being a servant to me or a servant to others, consider the final statement that he says in verse 21. He says, uh, he says, submit yourselves to one another, but he makes another phrase there, in the fear of the Lord. And I think another way of maybe saying that is, is that we submit to one another as unto the Lord. And the way that we would submit ourselves to the Lord, we're also to be submissive to one another as well. And what's interesting is that this is actually the beginning of, of a series of commands uh, to submission, but each of them end with a similar thought. If you look at verse 22, he says there, wives, submit your, uh, yourselves unto your own husbands, but I want you to notice this last thing, as unto the Lord. Now usually we, it gets really quiet and we have a lot of problems when we get to this verse. I want to, I'll interpret this again next week, but I want you to see 
that you're not supposed to treat your husband like he's the Lord. But the same way that we're to submit to one another as unto the Lord in verse 21, wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord as well. And then he says, uh, down in verse 25, I want you to notice this. He says, husbands, love your wives. And when we get there, we'll see a little bit better that this word love also has a spirit of humility with it. That we are to humble ourselves and serve and, and love and take care of our wives. Notice this, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He says in chapter 6 and verse 1, children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord, for this is right. By submitting to, the, to your parents, you are submitting to the Lord. And then down in verse uh, 5 in chapter 6, if you'll look, he says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart. And then look at that last phrase, as unto Christ. We have four or five commands there that talk about submitting to one another, submitting to different people. But every time it says that we are to submit as unto the Lord. Take on this mindset that when I'm submitting to you, what I'm really doing, big picture is, I'm submitting to God. He's called us to be a servant to all. Wives, He's called you to be a servant to your husbands. Husbands, He's called you to be a servant to your wives. Employees, He's called you to be a servant to your masters. And there's even a word about masters and how they're to treat their employees as well here in chapter uh, 6 as well. And so it's, it's, not a, a, it's all of us. We are all to be submitting to one another as unto the Lord. This almost carries the idea, again, that by submitting to one another, we are in fact submitting unto God. And this is definitely the pattern that we see in Christ's example as well. You know, one of the things that I find the most interesting about being a pastor is that we're unlike any other organization in the world. Number one, we're not a business. The moment we become a business, we stop being a church. I'll tell you that. I'm not the CEO of Calvary Baptist Church, but it calls me a pastor. And the people who are directly under me are deacons. And both words carry the notation of service. Pastor is a shepherd who doesn't drive his sheep, but leads his sheep. He becomes a servant to his flock. Deacons, that's not even disguised. The word deacon means servant. So the two leaders of the church that are given to us by the New Testament, both of us, both of them notate one in, in leadership, but in servitude as well. And I believe that that is an example to the rest of us that if I as your pastor can serve you, if these deacons who are esteemed men in the church can be your servant, that we also ought to be serving one another. And so we are to be growing together as a church. Well, I've named off several different ways. My memory is not that great to remember all of them, but... We've talked about submitting, you know, growing in, in our knowledge and growing in uh, all these different things unto the Lord. But it has to be together. The way we grow like that with one another is, I think, found in that last one by submitting and humbling ourselves to one another. By serving one another. 